And I also know Dennis gave a fantastic uh, Bible class time, kind of wrapping up the forum on singing and music, so I really appreciated that as well. So I'm back this week, and you might remember um, before I was gone last week, before Larry, we were doing a summer series, and I said that was my last summer sermon. So that means I got to figure out something else to do now. I always have this problem every couple of months. Um, but what I want to do before we get to the fall time, because I have a fall series I want to do, is I want to spend some time looking at a book textually and looking at the Word of God. I like to bounce back and forth. And so for the next little while, I want to look at the book of James. And you might remember from when we were in James over a year ago now in our Wednesday night study, um, James is, is full of wisdom, full of advice for the, for the Christian, for the Christian then to the Christian now. And honestly, I think over since I've been here, it's become one of my favorite New Testament books. I say that about a lot of New Testament books, but James has become one of my favorite New Testament books. And so I'm pretty excited to be kind of pouring through this textually for the next few weeks. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it. We're going to be starting in the book of James today, and we're going to be starting in chapter 1. And for the next few weeks, um, we, we will probably be here for five or six weeks or something like that. We'll try and hit what we can in the book of James and see as much as we can while we're doing that. So if you want to open your Bible, um, it's page 1011 in my Bible, so I don't know about you guys. But we will be in James today. Let me get there. All right. So if you open your Bible to the book of James, you can find some stuff right off the bat about what this letter's about. And that's always an important thing to kind of figure out where we're at in the world, who's writing the letter, who he's writing it to. And uh, we got some pretty easy questions to answer right away. Who wrote the book of James? Well, the name is in the name, right? So James wrote the book of James. And, um, you know, that seems kind of like an easy answer, but when we read here the very first verse, it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in, disper in dispersion, greetings. So we read the very first line, the very first words of James, and we see, hey, James wrote this. But which James wrote this? That's an answer I don't quite have. A lot of Bible scholars uh, will probably pick about four or five different Jameses that it possibly could have been. There was two Jameses who were apostles of Christ. Very likely it could have been one of them. There was also James, the brother of Jesus. Very likely it could have been him. And then there's maybe a couple other Jameses that would have been within the circle of Christ in his earthly ministry that could have wrote this book or written this book uh, to the Christians. So who wrote this book? Well, James did, but we don't know exactly which one it was. As we read this book, though, I think you'll find that no matter which James it was, it was definitely a James that was alongside Jesus Christ in his ministry. This wasn't just somebody who was out of the picture and decided to write a book, but this was somebody who uh, walked side by side with Jesus, who understood what his mission on this earth was, and who understands these new Christians that are figuring out the world as Christians and not Jews. That brings us kind of to our second question of who's this being written to? Well, in the, in the ESV I just read, it says the 12 tribes in dispersion, and that's kind of weird wording. We wouldn't use that very often. Um, but the NLT does a very good job. I really like how it writes it. It says, I am writing to the 12 tribes 
the Jewish believers who are scattered abroad. That's who he's writing to. That's NLT did a very good job, New Living Translation. So James is saying, hi, I'm James, writing in the love of Christ, and I am writing to you who? To the Jews, Christian Jews scattered abroad. So we often read a New Testament letter, look at like Paul's letters, and it's to a specific church, right? Well, here we don't have that exact specificity, but we have a people group. We have the Jews who are scattered abroad who are now following Christ. So it's also a little bit different than Paul. Paul traditionally writes to the Gentiles. Here we have James writing to the Jews. So there might be a little bit different topics he has to tackle. Think about the Jews and the background they're coming from. A lot like uh, Brooke and Cameron mentioned this morning about Thailand. It's not only a religious background, but it's cultural and uh, part of their family heritage, right? So these are Jews who are now Christians. And so James might have some interesting things to work through with them. And that's probably what we're going to be looking at for the most part for the next few weeks. So he's writing to the church, but he's writing to the Jewish church spread throughout the regions, to the 12 tribes dispersed throughout the land. So that's who James is from, and that's who James is too. But what is James about? Well, that's what we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at, and I'll let you figure that out for yourself. But I think the good key word um, that James is really about is James is about having a true religion, a true religion, not just one that is uh, for show or for your own sake, but for one that serves God. So that's what James is about. Let's start reading and figure out what he has to say. Best way to do that is to pick up right there where we stopped in verse 2. I'm actually going to read verse 1 again and just connect us. So James chapter 1, verse 1, we'll read through verse 4 to get us started. I'm in the English standard. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James introduces himself, and then he, he just gets right into it, doesn't he? He gets right into teaching these Christians. He, he wants to encourage them, but also I think when we read this, you can see that he wants to challenge them. Right away in verse 2, what's he talking about? Trials, right? Trials. When you meet trials of various kinds. So he's writing to the Jewish Christians and he's talking about trials. So I think it's safe to say even Christians back then had trials. They weren't perfect just because they were closer to Jesus. They still had to deal with daily life things that got in their way. Storms, if you will, right? Trials. So they deal with trials. Do we deal with trials to this day? Yeah. Sometimes uh, we deal with large trials. Sometimes we deal with small trials. But it seems like there's always a trial some way, isn't there? I was thinking about trials in my own life and trials we might face sometimes, and sometimes they really are big. Sometimes it's the loss of a dear family member. That's a big trial. Sometimes it's a heartbreak. It's a big trial. A financial ruin. That's a big trial, right? But sometimes they're smaller. Maybe they're like day-to-day things, 
And it's okay to say those are trials too. Maybe it's a flat tire. Flat tires can be a trial. We had one a couple weeks ago. It wasn't too bad, but man, it was another thing that kind of got in the way of what I was planning to do. Maybe it's just missing a meeting or letting someone down or just small things can be trials in our lives at times. We still have them as Christians. They had them as the first century Jewish Christians as well here. And that is what James is writing to them about. We have to deal with trials on occasion. They had to deal with trials on occasion. And what I think is really interesting is when James writes about trials, you can read it here, he doesn't say, if you meet a trial, he says, when you meet a trial. And I think that's kind of encouraging but also scary to the fact that when we read this as Christians, we know there will be a trial in our lives at some point. It's not an if, but a when. I think that's an important word, isn't it? So count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James gets that you will meet a trial, and you know what? Jesus got that as well. <laughs> Jesus himself would say in John 16, 33, that we will meet trials and tribulations in our life. If you look that up in your version, it might have trials, it might have tribulations, depending on your version, right? So Jesus himself taught that we will meet tribulations, we will meet trials, and James is saying we will meet trials. But that's not the hard part, is it? Even though we know we will meet trials and we know they're coming, what's James encouraging the Christians to do? The very first words are the easy ones, aren't they? Count it all joy. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. I don't like to count trials as joy. They icky. I don't like them. I don't like to change tires. I don't like to lose a loved one. Joy. Consider it joy. Count it joy. When we come up on a trial, I don't really want to be joyful. Anybody else like that? Maybe you're just happy all the time. No, I, I really don't want to be joyful. I struggle with that, right? And so when I read what James is saying here is, count it all joy, it's, it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge that I have to live in my life. And I think it's okay. I think it's okay that we don't default have joy because I think it's something we need to work on, isn't it? James wouldn't have had to write it if everybody was perfect at it. It wouldn't have been an encouragement if everybody was already living with joy because trials can be hard. Trials can be really, really difficult at times. I already mentioned that a flat tire can be a trial, and we had one a couple weeks ago, but when I was in college, I had a flat tire. That was huge. That was devastating for me because... I only had my one car in my one place. I didn't know how to get it to the tire shop, and I already knew that that one tire was going to be the rest of my money for the semester. That was a big trial for me. Don't hold it against me, but I'm pretty sure I cried because of that tire. Trials are tough to be joyful in. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we're mad. Sometimes we are devastated when a trial comes our way. But yet James writes and he says to count it all joy. Instead of anger, failure, disappointment, joy. Why joy? 
Why does James tell us to count it joy when we have trials? Well, let's read the rest of this verse again and think about it. These few verses, I guess. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, what James is doing here is he's trying to draw our attention away from the small to the big. He's trying to draw the attention away from our selfish trial that we're currently in to God's big picture. As you read these few verses, you can kind of see that zoom out, can't you? He says, when you have a trial, count it joy. Why? Because it's testing your faith. And when your faith is tested, it can produce steadfastness. We might call that patience. Patience is another word for that. And when patience, steadfastness, has its full effect, you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just zooming out further and further, right? And the picture he's giving is, how can you be a better Christian? To be a better Christian, a perfect Christian, if you even want to use that, mature Christian, you need steadfastness. And for steadfastness, you need testing of your faith. And for testing of your faith, you need the trial. So why might we count it joy when we face a trial? It's making us better. It's making us a better Christian. It's making us a better servant. It's making us a better light. That's how God's looking at it. That's why God might put a trial in your life. But we tend to look at it from despair, from, man, this terrible thing is happening. But we really can count it joy if we start looking at it from God's perspective, thinking about how mature I will be after dealing with this trial. That's a tough place to be sometimes. I think that's why James is encouraging the Jewish Christians and us today to count it joy. It's why he's encouraging us to take a step back and look at how God is developing us through patience through trial, through testing. He's telling us to be joyful so that we might later lack nothing, that we might be mature. I really like that word. That's kind of the word I kept coming back to um, when studying this over, is not that you're going to be perfect in that topic every time, but you will be more mature to serve people. You will be more mature in a topic, whatever the trial might be. So he's kind of given us a big shift in just a few sentences, shifting our whole mindset from focused on ourselves to focusing on what God might like us to do. God can put us through trials sometimes to make us better people for what's ahead. We often forget that because we're looking so close we can't see what's ahead, right? But often, I love, I love when people have come through trials, come through hard points in their life, and healed from it, and become more mature from it, and then they can help other people. That is the most valuable ministry I ever see, is when somebody's been through it, too. People who have been through it can help people going through it. And isn't that what we should be doing as Christians? Shouldn't we be helping people go through it if we've been through it? I used to say a few years ago, um, a quote I would say pretty often, is that you should turn your misery into your ministry. And I think that's kind of what James is talking about here. 
is he's saying when you face your various trials, whatever they might be, various, take that misery and become more mature and turn it into your ministry. Take God's perspective from it, not just the human perspective of trials. A lot of good stuff just in a few few verses right there at the beginning of James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4 that we read as our opening scripture, is all about testing and becoming more perfect. I know this seems kind of crazy. That's a thing Courtney and I've been saying lately. When you read the scripture, you're like, that's ridiculous. But we actually practice this in our normal lives often, but I think it's harder when it comes back to ourselves, right? We practice um, being patient and being steadfast in a trial to become better and more perfect. I thought of an example, our, our dogs are not perfect but we try and make them better animals. Try. And so one thing that we are training on and we're doing better on is if the, the line of the gate, whether the gate is open or closed, they don't cross that line, right? And so they get some trials when they cross that line. If the gate's open, it's like, well, here's the trial time, right? And so I watch them. I'll go work in the yard and come back And I'll see if they've crossed that line. If they do, they get pushed back and in trouble, right? And over that time of us doing those various trials of the gate, they're starting to be pretty good at knowing the line of the gate, even though it's not closed. See, we would do that in normal life, no big deal. But when it comes back to us, when we have to endure a trial to become more perfect, um, we don't like it quite so much. We don't like to be the dog getting trained where the gate line is, getting pulled back by their collar. We understand it. James is writing about that same exact thing, about maturity, about refining, if you will. Peter would use the word refining in 1 Peter 1.7. He would take the same thing and talk about refining gold. Same exact idea of making a more perfect, a more mature thing is just like refining gold. Taking out the impurities through a trial, through the fire, literally. That's what James is talking about. So he tells us to shift our perspective to God, and then we continue on, because he doesn't just leave us there. James doesn't just say, you need to shift your perspective and not tell us how to do it in some ways. So if you want to open your Bibles and continue here in verse 5, he's going to describe how we can do this more perfectly. James 1, verses 5, and I'm going to read through 12 just to give us some big context here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who will give generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and it withers away the grass, and the flower will fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of all of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life 
which God has promised to those who love Him. I think oftentimes we take the book of James and we slice it up into pieces, but did you notice where we ended there? Still talking about trials. We're still talking about trials even when we continue on there in verse 5. So he was talking about trials, and then in verse 5 we go to wisdom, right? Wisdom. It's almost like we shifted gears, but I think he's still talking about the same thing. I think James is talking about wisdom in the midst of trials. You know? We want that wisdom in the midst of trials so we can know what's going on, so we can zoom out to God's perspective. And what's James says? He says, if you lack that wisdom, if you can't see the perspective, ask God. Ask God for the wisdom. And what will he do? He will give generously. It will be given to him. When you seek God in the midst of a trial, he will help you get through it. He will help you understand. So simply put, I think we need the wisdom of God and we need to ask for for it. We need to ask God for that wisdom in the midst of trials. Are you guys good at that? Because just like when a trial comes, I focus on the problem at hand. Harold does. He also tries to focus on how Harold's going to fix it. That's what I do. I don't ask God to show me the big picture and how I should endure this to become a more mature Christian or a more mature person, or maybe even more knowledgeable. Nope, I just want to get through it. But James is saying, ask God for wisdom in the midst of your trial. But ask in faith as well. He didn't say, ask just so you check the box. He says, ask because you think God will guide you through it. Because if you don't have faith, you're just like the wave of the sea, right? What control does the wave have? None. It's just tossed all over the place. So James is saying, have the faith, when you ask God to guide you through it, when you ask God for the wisdom, and he will make you more mature. As James would say, he will make you perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. We need to ask for that wisdom out of faith. So in verse 9, he continues with his tactic, I guess you could call it. He continues with the tactic of how we can deal with trials. And if you notice, Verse 9 talks about the rich man and the poor man, the lowly man and the rich man, right? What's the example that's given here? Well, the lowly man, the poor man, he should be exalted and rejoice in it. But the rich man should be humbled and rejoice in it. Again, he's telling us how we could shift our perspective to God. Sometimes we have trials when things are going too good. The rich man. What should we do? We should... Be glad and joyful in our humility. That one's tough. (laughs) Sometimes we are like the one that is exalted when we are down low. We can be joyful and glad in that. Think about it when you face trials of your own. Sometimes we can get depressed and stuck in a trial. Isn't that the lowly man? We should be glad to God when he exalts us and makes us great. Sometimes we can be a little too arrogant and proud. We should be humbled and exalt God for that. Trials go both ways at times. Two sides to the coin, I guess you could say. Arrogant and humble, rich and lowly, however you want to say it. I think we can all be on each side of that coin at times. I have been. But either way, God makes us stronger when we praise him and we ask for wisdom in faith through the trial. 
You're not abandoned. God is there with you through the trial, no matter what. So James has written to the Jewish Christians. He's trying to help them be better Christians. He's trying to guide them through what this new life is like. And I think we can sometimes think, well, this is just for the Jewish people. But when you read about trials, doesn't it have a lot to do with our daily life as well? I mean, this is stuff I have to work on. I have to practice joy in trials and the big picture of remembering that God is making me more mature because Christians still go through things, even if they're not Jews, even if they're Gentiles like you and I. This applies to us just as much. So I think we need to remember that the early Christians, they weren't ashamed of the storms. They also had to endure them. We're not ashamed of the storms either. We shouldn't be at least Because through those things, we can become stronger. We can build one another up. Everyone goes through big and little storms in life. And it makes them stronger, better servants of God. And I think that's what James is saying here. So I think James has one more thing to talk about when it comes to trials. And I think he shares it following here in verse 13. And this is the last section of verses I want to cover today. Because I think this is all connected. This is all about trials. So let's read the end piece for today, verses 13 through 18 together. It reads, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, of whom there is no variation or shadow of change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of all of His creatures." So James has been talking about trials this whole time. He says, count it joy, seek wisdom, humble yourselves, and see the big picture. And then we get to this little end piece, and he stops talking about trials to talk about something else, right? Temptations. And I think, obviously, the Jewish Christians that James is writing to had the same problem we have at times. Trials and temptations, they're the same thing, right? James says no. James says, no, trials and temptations are very different things. Why? Temptations are not from God. Temptations are from evil. Temptations will lead us to sin and death. That's not what James was talking about with trials. He was talking about trials from God before, and now he's talking about temptations. So he's separating these into two different things. But do we sometimes not really know which one is which? Sometimes we wonder, is this a trial from God or is this a temptation from Satan? Well, we looked at the big picture. What's a trial from God trying to uh, create in us? Maturity, more perfection, a better Christian. What's a temptation of evil trying to do? Give us to our own desires to make us fall into sin and ultimately death, right? I don't think about this often, but Trials kind of make us not focus on ourselves. But temptations really make us focus on ourselves to the fact that we ruin ourselves. 
our own desires. And James says these are completely different things. One is from God, and one is from Satan, from evil. We can be lured by our own desires, or we can come out of a trial focusing on God's picture. Two very, very different things. So I think James is using this opportunity to clarify that there's a difference. And I remember when we did this in Bible class, we, we spent some time talking about the difference. One is like a bait and hook, and the other one is just like something you endure. That's kind of the perspective I think we need to keep when it comes to temptation rather than trial. Here's the thing. You can go through trials as a Christian and be so much stronger for it. But if you, quote-unquote, go through temptations and follow them all the way to the end, you're not going to be much of a Christian. You're going to be a selfish, evil-serving person slated for death. There's a difference between trials and temptations. So I encourage you to not be afraid of the trial, to not be afraid of the storm and the hard times that come along, even if it's a big one, even if it's a heartbreak. God can make you more mature, more perfect. But what I would say on the other side of it, I think that's what James is saying, is be watchful for the temptations. Be watchful for when Satan and evil are going to try and bring you down through something difficult. James has some good stuff to say about trials and temptations a little bit there at the end, but I think the main thing we need to take home is that we really should count it joy. Count it joy when we endure various trials from God. Count it joy because if we focus on the patience and the steadfastness, we might be more perfect and complete and mature. That's what the relationship with God can change in our lives. It can make us more perfect and mature and can deliver us from the temptations. So if you're a Christian, that's my challenge to you today. And if you're not a Christian and you want to endure trials with joy, the best way to start is to start following God because otherwise you'll just be given in to the temptations. So when we look at the book of James, we have a challenge for one another to be joyful joyful in the trials. And if you don't know Christ, ask one of these Christians around you. They'll help you be joyful in those trials.